the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Welcome to our first full review preview of the 2022 season. I am joined for this episode by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will start with a postmortem of CU's 41-10 loss to Air Force. The Buffs had their chances against the Falcons, but blown opportunities late in the first half and early in the second half doomed the Buffs to a second straight defeat. We will then turn our attention to CU's upcoming game against Minnesota. Going through our tips progression, we will look at the talent for both teams, what intangibles may be in play, how preparation will play a role, and look at the statistics which will factor in in deciding the winner. After that, just for fun, we will take a look at the biggest news item of the second week of the season, the firing by Nebraska of their head coach, Scott Frost. So, can the Buffs overcome the plethora of mistakes they made in the rain in Colorado Springs and put forth a competitive effort against the Golden Gophers? Will CU Offensive Coordinator Mike Sanford, formerly Minnesota Offensive Coordinator, have a triumphant return to Minneapolis? Or will the Golden Gophers have the last laugh? And will our speculation about candidates for the new head coach at Nebraska soon be turning to speculation as to candidates for the new head coach at Colorado. Let's find out. Okay, and we are back talking with Brad. It's pretty easy to pick CU games these days, Geiger. How are things in Highlands Ranch? Generally doing okay. Lovely day here and, uh, you know, it would be nice if I wasn't prognosticating the buffs so accurately. Okay, and joining us from downtown Denver, Neil, I can't wait to go skiing so I don't have to watch football. Langland, how are you doing this evening? Well, I'll note that uh, Loveland is going to start making snow here in about 22 days. So um, <laughs> The countdown has begun. That takes out some of the skiing, but it's quiet down here tonight. Well, we're uh, still suffering from uh, the bus falling to 0-2. A quick recap of the Air Force stats, 41-10 to final. First downs, 25-8. to So you had all of eight first downs, all of 162 total yards to 443 for Air Force, of which, of course, 435 was on the ground. Both teams did have three turnovers, and 
it was a 38 to 22 time of possession advantage for the Falcons of Air Force. So, Neil, I'll start with you. Some overview thoughts of the latest debacle in Buff World. It was hard to watch. Um, it was, at several points, unbelievable how CU was finding ways not to take advantage of opportunities. In the game last week, they didn't have many opportunities, so they couldn't make them. Here, they had several handed to them and could not avail themselves of a solution. That was very discouraging. On the positive side, I really liked the resilience that the team showed, especially the defense until they were they just wore it out in the fourth quarter. I liked the way they fought back. And I liked the way the defense was able to make adjustments and make stops and make big plays. That was nice to see. Okay. Well, Brad, the buffs were 17 and a half point underdogs, and it was 20 to nothing after the first 20 minutes. Were you ready to uh, move on to other Saturday afternoon pursuits? Well, it wasn't so much even the score. It was that it was everything we expected it to be. They were running essentially at will. The offense, we got we got what we wanted. We got the quarterback we wanted. There's a reason the backup quarterback is always popular, and there's always a reason he's a backup quarterback. You know, it just it felt really ugly. And, again, it felt like there were chances to make it less ugly that just weren't being taken advantage of. So, yeah, it was that was hard to watch. And then it was nice to watch the touchdown drive, which seemed almost to come out of nowhere, to give you some hope. And then we have the ball in good position. And then it's done. And that's, you know, it, it, it is having a tiny bit of hope better than being completely having no hope. I don't know. This is, we've been through so many ways to lose. I'm used to all of them. <laughs> well, Neil, uh, Brad alluded to JT Shrout getting his first career start at the University of Colorado. He ended up, at, game was in the rain, but he went five for 21. For all the 51 yards and interception, a QB rating of 7.4. Now, I don't really like the QB ratings. I'm not really sure I understand QB ratings, but I'm guessing that's not real, real good. So was uh, that a, a problem of the offense? Was it a problem of the weather? Was it a problem that Shroud is not as good as we thought and or hoped he would be? It may be all of those things, probably a lot of those. I was happy to see him get the start. I was chagrined that the weather was so awful and that he had trouble uh, gripping the ball. He seemed very nervous at the beginning. And it just seemed that his timing was a half a beat off or his passes were a half a beat, a half a step behind receivers or just a little bit high or a little bit late, a little bit early. It was nice to see someone get back there and throw the ball. He did not perform well, but he had some drops, had some passes that were oh so close to being completed. The stats weren't great, and the appearance at times was, was poor. But I'm, I'll say I'll go out on a limb and say he deserves another go in dry weather just to see what he can do with a little bit of um, experience with a little bit of time with the ones and a little bit more time in practice to get the timing down. 
ironically, I, I, he just had this opportunity and it was very, very hard. Just, it was cringeworthy to watch him miss these passes just by a little bit. Um, he didn't get great pass protection, but he really didn't show good judgment at times either. Okay, well, Brad, what do you think about Shrout heading into the Minnesota game? The uh, head coach, Carl Rowe, was asked about it after the game about whether or not he was going to bring Brendan Lewis back in, you know, in the second half. He said, no, he wanted to get him as many reps. But then he also alluded to the idea that maybe even a third string quarterback might see action in the future. So how long of a leash is uh, Shrout going to get? Um, is he the quarterback for the rest of the season or is he a quarterback for the rest of Carl Durrell's tenure, which might not be as long? I mean, I think we know who Brandon Lewis is. We don't yet know who JT Shroud is, so I suspect he'll get the chance. I, it's not the rest of the season without much better performance. And yeah, there are a lot of reasons that Shroud didn't perform well that were not within his control. I, his receivers did gave him no help. There were catchable balls that were not caught. I mean, they weren't perfect. He wasn't hitting them square, but I can think of four or five that probably would have been caught by better receivers. Um, and the fact that we couldn't run the ball against a team assembled from the kindergarten next door uh, probably has something to do with that as well. Um, pass protection was spotty. So, you know, it's hard to tell what Shrout is. He got really happy feet at times in the second half, uh, again, for understandable reasons. So I suspect that he will play most of the snaps next week, probably the week after. Um, you know, who who knows after that? We may well have a completely new coaching staff at that point. Okay. Well, Neil, Brad earlier was talking about opportunities. I'm going to run through some possessions at the end of the first half and the start of the Second half for CU, when the score was 20 to 7, uh, CU got a fumble at the 23-yard line of Air Force, went four plays, zero yards, kicked the field goal, make it 20-10 at halftime. Got another fumble early in the third quarter, uh, ended up in a fumble by uh, Alex Fondo at the goal line, forced the punt, took over at the AFA 40, so that's three straight possessions on the Air Force side of the ball. Went four plays, nine yards, turned it over on downs. And then after a force scored again, a long kickoff return by Nico Reed. CU took over at midfield, their own 49-yard line. So it was just short of being four straight possessions inside of Air Force territory. And that was four plays minus four yards and a punt. So there's four possessions, which netted CU three points. So were you somewhat heartened by the fact that CU created opportunities, had three turnovers, the defense played okay, still in the game in the second half, or is just more frustration and more gray hair because CU once again couldn't capitalize on opportunities? I don't want to skip ahead to stats, but I have one that's pertinent to this that I'll save for later. Uh, my sense is that Darrell does not have a sense of psychological impacts of going for it repeatedly on fourth and whatever and getting stuffed. Um, I think that it, a team that is struggling to find its stride, struggling with its confidence, 
if it gets some points after a short drive or some points after a gift possession deep in the opponent's territory, take the points. Had Durrell done that a couple of times, you're at 2016 or maybe even tied going into the fourth quarter. I think that would buoy the team psychologically, build their confidence, you know, and give them some energy to finish the game. But when they repeatedly come away with nothing after those gifts and after very poor series, I think that's really damaging to their psyche. And I think Darrell needs to change that. And I hate, I'm not going to beat this to death again this week. So I'll stop there. Okay. Well, Brad, any final thoughts on Air Force before we move on to uh, tips for Minnesota game? The next time our white our running backs see a hole will be one of the first. I just one of the bills of particulars what we were sold at the beginning of the season was that the offensive line would be better. They've regressed. It's that's that's a team that is an outperformed and almost every play group. Yes, I was happy. I thought the defensive line played better. So far, we have not particularly seen the backfield get destroyed like we feared they would be. But if that offensive line doesn't start doing something, it's just going to get uglier and uglier and uglier. Okay. Neil, any final takeaways from 41 to 10? Air Force sweeping the home-and-home series for the first time in almost 50 years playing the Buffs? Well, I think that signifies the relative trajectories of the two programs over the last 10 years, the last 20 years, and something that Brad said about the O-line. I went back and watched some of those series that produced nothing, and the O-line did not maintain blocks, did not pass blocks. Their schemes seem to be solved very easily by Air Force. So it's not just the player's performance, it's play conception and choice and personnel packages that are just befuddling to me. And that's on the coaches. Uh, Whoever's calling those plays needs to take a different path. And unless and until the O-line improves and our play selection, and creativity improve, where you're going to get more of the same. And that's very discouraging. Okay. Well, talking about play selection is an excellent segue into talking about Minnesota and our tips for the game and those that might be new to the podcast or the See with the Game website. It's T for talent, I for intangibles, P for preparation, and S for stats. We'll start with Minnesota talent and Play calling fits right in there because Mike Sanford, the CU offensive coordinator last year, was the offensive coordinator at, wait for it, Minnesota. To give you some numbers, Brad, before we start talking about individuals, last year, Minnesota was ranked 99th in the country under Mike Sanford uh, in total offense, 360 yards a game, scored 25 and a half points a game, 83rd nationally. Now, with Kirk Sharaka back as the offensive coordinator, he was there a couple of years ago, and now is back. After two games, again, it's a small sample size, 582 yards per game, number one in the nation, and 50 points per game, seventh nationally. 
Nice round numbers. Minnesota scored 100 points and given up 10 in the first two games. So average score of 50 to 5. This is all without Mike Sanford there as the offensive coordinator. So in looking at Minnesota's talent, what uh, what stood out to you either player-wise or numbers-wise? Well, I mean, they play a Big Ten type of football, and they have a Big Ten type of roster. Um, they play big up front. They load up the, and run the ball very, very, very well. They have a running back, Ibrahim, um, who we didn't see last year, who's, you know, an excellent running back, another Big Ten type guy. This is, we don't really know how good Minnesota is because they played little sisters of the poor and their neighbors, little sisters of the poorer. Um, you know, they are, uh, they have chosen, they're undefeated and unchallenged, but they think that they can play and they have assembled a group of players who can do that. And yeah, bottom line is they certainly look better on offense than they did with our, for our offensive coordinator last year. So there's every reason that that offense is going to continue, particularly to roll up the rushing yards. Okay. Well, Neil, the quarterback for Minnesota is Tanner Morgan, who seems to have been there as long as uh, Britton Covey was at Utah. He's uh, in his sixth year. Um, he's actually 29 and 12 as a starter. I think if you tried to go back and out of 29 CU wins, you'd be well back into the Mike McIntyre era to find 29 wins. Uh, as Brad mentioned, Mohamed Ibrahim, also a sixth year senior, has two 1,000 yard seasons to his under his belt, already has 264 yards rushing, or 262, don't want to give him too much, and four touchdowns in his backup, Trey Potts, has 168 yards and three touchdowns rushing. Compare that to the University of Colorado, entire backfield, two games, 224, 224 yards rushing and one touchdown. What stood out to you, if anything, about uh, the talent that uh, Minnesota is going to bring to the field when the Buffs travel to Minneapolis? Well, looking at the stats, um, one must take caution and look at Minnesota's schedule. They haven't played anyone. That's why they are um, number one in total offense and in total defense. However, I looked up their depth chart here um, this afternoon. Their O-line averages about 325. Their tight ends both are 270 pounds, one is 6'7", the other 6'5". So they are a power running team up front. And I, I think that talent, to the extent it is a function of size, is overwhelming compared to what CU places on the field, both on offense and defense. Uh, if one looks at the defensive depth chart, they're not huge up front but they're very mobile. And I think it has been demonstrated that one does not have to have a large D line to befuddle our offensive line. And I think it has also been shown that CU's front seven sometimes are vulnerable to power running schemes. So that talent, Ibrahim in his own right is a good running back anywhere he goes. The QB, serviceable, a good game manager, not NFL material necessarily, but 
I think their overall talent is upper echelon power five and compare that to CU's, which is probably not that, I'm afraid. <laughs> probably not that. Well, Brad, you know, you, you talked about Minnesota beating up on New Mexico State, 38 to nothing, Western Illinois, 62 to 10, were the two little sisters that Minnesota has played so far. But last year, you know, to make up for the ineffective offense, the Golden Gophers were in the top 10 nationally in rushing defense, passing defense, total defense, and scoring defense. They did lose some starters um, from last year's team, but they're off to a good start. They've given up one touchdown, and that was in garbage time against uh, the, I think it's the Lumberjacks or the Leathernecks, whatever it is for Western Illinois. And that was with four minutes, and they were behind, you know, Western Illinois was behind 62 to three at the time. So, one touchdown in two games. Offense can run the ball, but CU's defensive line was supposed to be our calling card. That was supposed to be the deepest and strongest unit on the team. And this defense seems to be pretty stout. Is there anything favorable in terms of the matchups that you can see in terms of talent? No. I mean, okay. to, to be honest <laughs> with you, I mean, I think the defensive line, despite the statistics, Played better against Air Force than they did against Texas Christian, um, but they're just going to get leaned on the entire day. So there's a, there's a big advantage there. I don't know how good that Minnesota defense is. Again, they're not playing some of the teams that are better than that. But there's nothing in our offense where it matters. They're just going to be better. They're just that much better. So it's really hard to find a place where we're where we're going to be able to do this. And I'm, that's frustrating. Okay. Well, Neil, moving on to the eye of our tips. Are there any intangibles that you might find about this game that might work to CU's advantage? As I was preparing to speak with you tonight, I was trying to find some motivational edge that could come from this. And all I can think of is that an underdog comes into a Big Ten stadium against a Big Ten team that has done poorly, but that has, like a sputtering engine, had a few hits here and there. I think the notion is, guys, all we, we've shown we can do it. Let's just try to be more consistent. I think that's the only thing they can use probably to motivate themselves. Because if they look at the statistics and the lineup, it's daunting. Okay. Well, Brad, the Buffs open as a 27 and a half point underdog, which is uh, fairly significant to be a four score, four touchdown underdog. Anything that might work to see his advantage, uh, playing with a chip on their shoulder for the, you know, the 15th straight year, that might uh, give them some help and some hope for the, the Minnesota game? Well, I'm going to steal it from you, Stuart. Looking ahead, there is no reason, given last year and, and what's gone on so far, that Minnesota is going to be focusing on CU. Um, they play that green team from Michigan that we'd rather not discuss uh, the week after. That's the start of the Big Ten. I've read some of their message boards. They're already talking about being a player in the Big Ten because some other teams have proven to not be so good. 
So yeah, they're probably going to be looking ahead. That said, they are at home. They have every, they certainly know our offense because they've run it. So yeah, they're not going to be as up as they would be for almost anybody else, but it probably doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, the only tangible I could think of, and it works against CU, is the, the, the angle going back to the presence of Mike Sanford, that mm-hmm. this was supposed to be for CU anyway, you know, Mike Sanford coming back to show his former team that they shouldn't have let him go, that he was going to, you know, bring an offense that was his offense, that, you know, he could do whatever he wanted, and he was going to exploit whatever weaknesses there were on the Minnesota side of the ball. Unfortunately, I see it working exactly the opposite now that the Minnesota offense is happily scoring 50 points a game and would like nothing more than to show Mike Sanford that you can score more than 25 points a game with an offense with this talent and this quarterback and these running backs. And the defense will be more than happy to shut out Mike Sanford's offense to show that they. In fact, we're right in shutting down and showing Mike Sanford the door. So the intangible for me, I think, works against you that, you know, once you get us stomped on, if it's 20 to nothing after the first 20 minutes against Air, like it was against Air Force, CU is not getting back in the game. They're not going to call off the horses that they're just going to keep. Mm-hmm. And they're going to keep their first team defense on the field to keep us from scoring at all to uh, prove the point that, Mike Sanford was not the right guy to be their offensive coordinator. Neil Brad talked a little bit about the preparation and schedule part of it. The idea that Minnesota does have Michigan State and Mel Tucker up. They're on the road next week after three straight home games. Anything as far as scheduling or anything else in terms of preparation that you can find that might uh, be helpful to the Buffs? You know, I think Stanford might be able to provide some insights into the Minnesota defense that would help the Buffs prepare. He probably knows it. The personnel knows the tendencies and the preferences of those coaches. So that may help him design a game plan and a call sheet. And I think he's going to be extra motivated to say, to build on your point, Stuart, that, hey, I was the right guy. I should still be the guy, and here's what you're missing. Okay. Well, Brad, you were talking about uh, Minnesota having something to look forward to, the fact that they played the early game on Saturday when they were playing Western Illinois, so they were getting done. And I could just picture the coaching staff sitting back and watching the Air Force game, you know, with a nice sandwich and a cold beverage, looking at uh, all the wonderful things that CU was having done to them. And then turning around watching, as you kind of alluded to, Iowa lost to Iowa State, Wisconsin lost to Washington State, and Nebraska lost to Georgia Southern. So waking up on Sunday morning, you know, what team is the favorite team to win the the Big Ten West? Well, Minnesota's certainly got to be in that discussion. So certainly looking forward to starting the Big Ten season against a ranked, presumably ranked Michigan State team in two weeks other than the fact that minnesota has uh only been sitting at home and colorado's going on the road for the second straight week 
nothing about the scheduling or other preparation that uh, might assist the buffs in getting ready for this game? No. I mean, again, Stanford should know that team, should have some knowledge about it. But even if he had great play calling, which we have yet to see, we have no reason to believe that this team will execute it. So, yeah, I do I suspect that the offensive coordinator has been spending a little extra time getting this plan ready? Perhaps. But I don't know that that's going to be enough to make any difference. Okay. Well, Neil, moving on to the S, you were excited to get into some stats, which is our last initial there for tips. Uh, what stat have you been withholding that you've been chomping at the bit to share? Uh, if we look through the first two games and see you going for it on fourth and short, we're batting zero. Now, on the last time we tried it, we actually had it made until Shrout, uh, excuse me, Shrout slid a little too early into third base. That stat to me is, indicates that we don't have short yardage capability. We don't have great imagination in our play calling. And if you were to conduct a little thought experiment and pretend that we don't know that CU changed offensive coordinators this year, does this offense look any different to you than what we had last year? It does not to me at all. No. So yeah. I think that implies, somewhat loosely, a similar fate uh, in terms of well, what's going to happen is that with that statistic, we set ourselves up for failure. Yeah. Well, I think what Other stats that I have, I, if, we, if we compare Minnesota, as we did earlier, with total offense, defense, and so on, all of their rankings are in single digits. Ours are all above 100, some above 120, and one of them, run defense, is 131. Now, up against that monster line, that implies that we're in for a long day. Well, it might be skewed a little bit by playing the number one rushing offense in the country, but you know we're pretty better in pass defense because we only gave up eight yards, but that can change as well. So I think what you're alluding to, you know, the fact that she went 0 for 2 on fourth downs against Air Force after going 0 for 3 on fourth downs against TCU, so that's 0 and 5 for the season. You stretch that out, the Buffs were 1 for 11 on third down opportunities against Air Force, which obviously you can't, you can't beat the little sisters of the poor. We'd be struggling against New Mexico State going 1 for 11 on third downs after going six for 15 against TCU. So that's uh, seven, if my math is correct, seven for 26 in third down conversions and 0 for five in fourth down conversions to start the season. So Brad, other than the fact that Minnesota's in, as Neil put it, single digits in every stat and CU's in triple digits in every stat, anything else that uh, stands out to you in terms of stats going into the game Saturday in Minneapolis? Well, I mean, we're playing the number one offense of the country, again, unplayed, um, after facing the number four offense in the country. And, you know, we're in the bottom, in the 120th rankings. 
the frustrating part is that we have one quarterback who throws a lot and doesn't complete a lot and one quarterback who throws less and completes a lot for nothing. You know, if we could get Lewis's efficiency with Shrout's willingness to throw the ball anywhere, maybe we would be 100th in offense instead of 125th. But again, until the offensive line blocks somebody, um, and that's the worst part. Our offensive line efficiency is just sad. We are not good at that. And until that changes, and unlikely to believe it will this year, the stats will always be against us. Yeah, well, perhaps uh, we'll only be playing in uh, Minneapolis only a couple hundred miles from the border. Maybe we could just move it up past uh, Duluth and, you know, play Canadian rules and let's have 12 guys. And then that way Brad's <laughs> issue paradox can be solved. We can put both Shrout and Brandon Lewis on the field at the same time. So I'm going to hold off for just a minute on your predictions that everybody wants to hear and talk a little bit about the the biggest news after the second Saturday of football, that being Nebraska after falling to Georgia Southern and falling to one and two for the season, fired Scott Frost. Um, everyone's favorite coach at the University of Colorado, considering he was 0-2 against Colorado, 16-31 and 31 in his stint. And in case you're wondering, uh, CU was 18-30 and 30 over that same time frame and went through three coaches in the time that Scott Frost was in Lincoln. Neil, I'll let you go first. What was your initial reaction to the firing of Scott Frost by CU's all-time nemesis, Nebraska? I was actually shocked. I suspected it was going to happen at some point this early in the year uh, with the financial implications that you mentioned earlier. I'm, I'm surprised. I continue to be surprised at how little progress Nebraska has made under Frost. He did so well as an OC in Oregon with that system and had UCF humming along, albeit as a G5 team. I can't understand what is going wrong with the guy. What happened? I just don't. But Nebraska still sees itself as a national program that recruits nationally and is always going to be a factor in the playoffs. They needed to do something and something sooner had to, had to be done. So they're just going to blow off this year. Well, I'm, I'm still flabbergasted. Okay. Well, Brad, they were a couple of weeks short of cutting Scott Frost buyout from 15 million to 7.5 million. That was going to be reduced by his revamped contract as of October 1st. So if you're Trev Alberts, why wouldn't you wait a couple more weeks and save your program $7.5 million or the fact that uh, Fox is coming with the big noon game and Oklahoma's coming to town? Was it worth $7.5 million to Nebraska not to have Fox Sports spend its entire pregame show talking about Scott Frost? In the end, it's about ego over money, isn't it? I mean, everybody expects Nebraska to get just pummeled this week. 
I was surprised about the timing. I think everybody was surprised about the timing, including Scott Frost, quite clearly. It feels like maybe somebody called the AD and said, we know where the money is coming from. Nebraska, I watched some of that game. Nebraska got out, played in almost every facet. They were slower. They were not as well prepared. They are not as bad as CU, but they are facing some of the same CU problems. They haven't recruited well. Um, they don't have speed. They aren't able to play the modern game. And, you know, it's fascinating that you choose to fire him now instead of the end of last season. There was no reason to believe this team was going to get better. And it's it's just all in all a strange circumstance that you can only knock off to the fact that Nebraska still thinks they should compete competing for the national championship every two or three years and uh, have not accepted that that ain't who they are anymore. <laughs> well, unfortunately, CU fans have gotten pretty used to accepting the fact that they're not competing for national titles other than the, the one guy on Twitter that keeps talking about CU is going to be competing for a national championship, but has yet to produce the collective that's going to help raise the right. money to make that happen. But mm -hmm. um, CU certainly doesn't have an extra 7.5 million, much less, you know, the, what it would have been 7.5 doesn't have 15 million lying around to buy out coaches, but it may come to pass in the not too distant future. If CU doesn't improve that we're going to be talking about uh, competing with Nebraska for our next head coach. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Colorado at Minnesota. It'd be 1:30 ESPN two. Mountain time. Neil, how about uh, we let you go first this week? I lost track of who's supposed to predict first, but I'll let you go first. Like once, as mentioned, Colorado is a 27.5 point underdog to 2 0 Minnesota. How do you see the game playing out? Well, if we combine the spread with the total, that implies a game somewhere around 38 to 9. And I think that number fits CU pretty well. No touchdowns and some field goals. I think it underestimates what Minnesota can and will do offensively. So I, I think that that spread is likely to rise. But whatever it is, Minnesota will cover. And there will be a lot of points put up by Minnesota. Okay, you got a score for us? Something in the neighborhood of 55 to 10. Okay, you kind of lost, we kind of lost you there, but it sounded like you were saying 55 I'm sorry, to 10. I think it would be about 55 to 10. The Buffs score a touchdown, and Minnesota calls off the dog somewhere early in the fourth quarter. Okay. Brad, you were pretty spot on with last week, unfortunately, for the University of Colorado football program. Uh, what would be your prediction for CU at Minnesota to close out the non-conference schedule? Fortunately, this will be a short game. CU will have a lot of three and outs. Minnesota will run and then run and then run some more. And they're a better passing team than we just faced. So the nice part is we're not going to go into the late evening. I just checked even the weather is going to be perfect for football in Minnesota. 45 to 7, Minnesota. Okay. So, yeah, until or unless 
the University of Colorado can prove to the contrary. It seems that uh, the betting and uh, take give whatever points you have to to take the other side. Uh, again, for those that aren't familiar with the podcast, I will have my written prediction with the written tips, which is posted on the Seahawks Game website first thing on Wednesday morning of each week before the game. So with that, we're going to let you guys go and enjoy pro football and other college football so we don't have to spend as much time talking about uh, that, which is the University of Colorado 2022. But I thank you for sticking with the buffs, and I thank the listeners for sticking with the podcast. And we will talk with you guys again next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoy your week. Thanks for listening. And I mean that sincerely, based upon the current state of Colorado football. During the remainder of the season, we will be back weekly with our preview review podcasts being posted on Tuesdays throughout the year, with my written tips being posted on Wednesday morning at the See With The Game website. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are proud to be part of their podcast network. As before, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I'll be back next week with Brad and Neil as we review the Minnesota game and preview the high noon Boulder matchup against UCLA. So, until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.